Here comes the fudge! Introducing Stripe Chips Ahoy Chocolate Chip Cookies. Six fudge stripes on the front, one tremendous stripe on the back. There's original, chewy, and now Stripe Chips Ahoy Chocolate Chip Cookies. To see how Chips Ahoy fudged up their cookies, cut out squares, paste each one on a 3x5 card in the lower right-hand corner, put cards in order, and just flip. Bet you bite a stripe! Nabisco! Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. I am Rick. And I am Osvaldo. It's a beautiful day in the random hood, a beautiful day in the banter hood. Would you random? Could you banter? Won't you random banter? Random banter time, buddies. How are you? Tell me stories about your lives. <laughs> This is great. I get to look at Rick just laughing and turning red. This is fun. <laughs> Howdy, neighbor. I need to go over here and change my shoes now and put on my sweater and feed my fish and say, I'm glad you're my neighbor. Aw, I'm and, glad you're my neighbor, too. And, and I'm glad that we've got a new neighbor that we can welcome in this, this fine, fine day. I would like to welcome our new neighbor, Dr. Osvaldo Oyola who is the curator of Middle Spaces, a website devoted to exploring the thoughts on music, comics, race, and gender. Considering this book really hits two of these, and Jeff loves to include parody songs, we just are missing the gender to get the full set. <laughs> Dr. Oyola, welcome! Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I'm, still, I'm still trying to like understand and absorb the random banter song. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, for for whatever reason because just in the script just basically saying that we're going to talk about just kind of like oh we're just going to talk about whatever's going on in our lives it just says random banter and I just started running <laughs> okay. with that and right. it became I, I its own kind it of something like that but now I just blew up your spot but yeah thanks for having me <laughs> no, okay. no no yeah, no it's, no, it's <laughs> right I thought the 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 Mr. Rogers thing was because I I'm in Pittsburgh and that's where Mr. Rogers was so I'm like is this some sort of connection oh, oh. to where I, to, to where I live, or just a coincidence? Yes, yes, it was. It was completely set up to yeah. be like that. Wink, wink, yeah. wink, wink. Well, I've been stalking him these past couple of weeks, and I figured out what neighborhood he lives in, and I changed my shoes inside of his house. So I wanted him to know in the least creepiest way possible. No, 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 Mr. Rogers, not Mr. Robinson's. Oh, okay. <laughs> I continually get cross cross wires on my uh, pop culture. <laughs> okay enough about that let's talk more about you sir because you are our guest and uh, we want to like to know a little bit more about you uh, specifically what is your connection to power pack i'm a, a scholar of comics and uh, american pop culture more broadly and um that's what i'm interested that's how i'm interested in power pack now but mostly i'm interested in power pack because it was a comic that i loved as a kid and that's often um, a place I look to sometimes for things to think about or uh, to write about is that uh, kind of critical nostalgia, this thing that I love, I want to spend time with it again. So when I completed my run of Power Pack, because I love to collect comics like, you know, material floppy comics, I completed a run of Power Pack and I sat down and I read, it, read them again and I was like, oh, I still love this but for like a whole bunch of different other reasons that I probably did as a kid. And so that's 
you know, that's me and Power Pack. I always recommend it to people all the time. I'm like, they're cheap to get. You should go back and complete a run. Yeah, that's the that is the fun part about them, where you're kind of like, hey, I spent uh, seventy five cents on this originally. Now I'd have to spend a dollar twenty five. Right, <laughs> and and the sad thing is, is that they are actually better comics than a lot of people give them credit for. And yeah, that's kind really of part of the reason we do what we're doing is like these are actually good comics. Yes, we have fun with them. But oh yeah, I agree. I, I, my my like my like for Power Pack is not ironic in any way. I I, I love it. Right. I mean, it's it's silly, it's goofy, it's corny, sure, but. So what? Like, it's still great. They're great comics. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm a big fan of Louise Simonson, too, so that's another reason what kind of drove me to go back and hunt them out again, because I love her work. I always feel like she should get as much as much props uh, in the world of comics. Uh, she should get more. As much as she gets, she should always get more, as far as I'm concerned. I, I, it was something that I missed as a kid, that not only did I love reading Power Pack, I loved reading X-Men, I loved reading X-Factor, I loved New Mutants. Going back as an adult, I've looked through all those comics like, hey, there is something in common with all of these, and that would be the writer. <laughs> right. or, or, or even the editor, right? Even yeah, the writer editorial the hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just recently was rereading the final issue of the first volume of Marvel Team-Up, which is Spider-Man and the X-Men, and well, lo and behold, it's one of my favorite issues I never realized, written by Louise Simonson. No wonder yep. it's one of my favorite issues. <laughs> so... Another reason why I reached out to you is you have written some excellent articles. You have a really good website called The Middle Spaces, and you do some fantastic articles on there, and you had a really good one about this run of Power Pack. And we have referenced it before in the last couple of issues that we've been going through. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was referring to before, was this idea that that I went, I went back to, to reread and ended up writing, and probably will end up writing more about power pack and i was interested in both as someone who loves comics and studies comics and also someone who grew up in the environments that that the comic this the story of these three issues takes place in i had a lot of thoughts and feelings uh, about them in particular the way it represented uh urban space race and class you know there's some things about the the three issues that are amazing i think that they, they do a really good job in some you know weaker places or places where I think it could have been a little more thoughtful, but I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into those details. Yeah. Uh, there are some definite thoughts and feelings and it, it was kind of interesting that as we were starting or kind of just, just cracking into the beginning of this run, we had an opportunity to uh, interview Louise Simonson and June Brigman. And we talked to Weezy about these issues a little bit and kind of got her take on where the impetus for them came from and how some of the art came about with them as well. So, mm. But we'll, we'll get into that too. Um, before we get really started, there is some news which I think we could talk about, which is it looks like Future Foundation is canceled. Something came over Twitter that uh, after the first issue, the sales did not meet expectations, and so they decided to cancel it, and issue five is going to be the last issue. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Sometimes things don't make it. Uh, things that you might be really looking forward to and hoping the best for uh, just don't pan out. And I know in this one, they just said it was a situation where the projected earnings mm. on it weren't where they wanted it to be. And so they just said, yeah, uh, we don't think it's going to go where we want it to, so we're going to be done with it. Osvaldo, what were your thoughts about the uh, the series so far? Well, I'll be honest and say that I wasn't a big fan of the first issue, and I was going to drop it, but I, I bought that first issue and gave it a shot. You know what I mean? Like... I mean, I did my part. If they're only judging by the first issue, I did my part. 
Uh, but it's still, it still it it saddens me because I I'm probably like you guys I'm used to or came from a time a period of time even though I still buy comics nowadays thinking back when comics were given more of a chance to like grow you know you would have yeah uh, a while uh, before a sh- um, a series would be canceled um, and I know that doesn't happen as much now but I don't know I don't know who the audience was for that comic anyway i'm not i'm not sure like who was clamoring for another future foundation comic i thought it was very interesting because they took they took jeremy whitley off of a really good book which was the unstoppable wasp and brought him on here he's got a proven track record of taking characters and building them up and and making them very interesting characters and i think i saw the promise of that with what he was doing with this series it's just that it takes more than one or two issues to really start grounding that in. I, I, I just, yeah, I agree. Wish that they could have given it more of a chance. I enjoyed it. I can, I can see how the setup and the characters might not be for everybody, but I was of course happy to see uh, Julie and Alex in some comics again. I was interested to see what they were going to do with this team. It, we had a team of kids and a team of characters out in space doing random wacky stuff. Yeah. You know what? Great. Let's get let's explore I, more of the multiverse whenever we can. I don't know exactly what the balance is, but I feel like sometimes there's a book that starts and it's part it's part of already ongoing continuity, and it doesn't matter because the the first issue whatever grabs you that even if you're not familiar with it, you buy in. And I think that was my issue with Future Foundation. Even with the little I do know about that, I'm doing a little bit of it. I felt like. There was nothing in that first issue that made me buy in, that made me say, mm. even though I don't know why they're looking for Molecule Man or whatever it might be, I don't care because this was a fun story or for the fun beginning of a story. It's I'm, I'm sad to see it go. I know I'm going to be collecting. I know there's other people that are going to be collecting it too, at least up until five. Mm. And I still am, I, I want to see more work from Jeremy Whitley. I want to see, I, I like seeing good writers be able to do some good stuff so yeah i just got all three uh, the first three trades of his um i guess there's now there's a fourth of his unstoppable wasp so yeah the stuff that he's written that i've read i've really enjoyed yeah yeah so it's it is kind of too bad to see it's like oh this is something that he could really have run with and really gone you know stretch his legs and done something with nope 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 done nope, yeah done. so that's too bad let's move on um jeff can you please give us the two sentence replay from last episode you bet a fully cocked Alex goes off half-cocked and abandons the rest of the team to find a crack manufacturing house so that he can, and I quote, smash it to splinters, which is a quarter-cocked idea at best. Well, it turns out that the crack house is guarded by a teenage supervillain team known as Trash that kick Alex's can around until his siblings track him down and rescue him, culminating in the destruction of the flop house. Now that the... Recently, Alex has accidentally killed some pigeons, some rats, and maybe some drug-addled patrons of this crack house. I don't think the kid's all right. Two-sentence replay is over. Why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Now, this time, uh, Osvaldo and I were not able to really match up our beer selection, so I'll be asking to see what beer he's drinking. But first, I would like to introduce you to a beer I've been holding on to for a while. And you're going to be very happy. Uh, <laughs> Hellboy from Gigantic Brewing Company. Nice. That is definitely a Mike Mignola uh, art piece on there with Hellboy on it. And he's got his old crown. 
floating above his head. This is really cool. Ah, cool. Check it out. Uh, story time on it is Hellboy Maple Syrup Pancakes Beer. Succumb to the pancakes. Maple syrup infuses every part of this tempting breakfast beer. Give it a try. It might change your life. So yeah. I think that both of you can guess why I picked this beer for this issue. It's because I want to drink it. Well, okay. That's his, his, <laughs> his idea. Osvaldo, why do you think I picked this beer for this issue? Uh, it's a breakfast beer. It's a Hellboy beer. Because maple syrup, maple syrup pancakes. I don't know. There's a section in. It's about four pages in, oh, and the Power right, Children are having course, breakfast. That's Franklin's favorite breakfast. <laughs> well, yeah, Franklin. Yeah, Franklin's. Franklin. That's, they do make the joke like if Franklin was here, he'd they, say they, his they favorite. They say that constantly. Like they, they have a whole conversation about it. <laughs> yeah. So while I'm opening these up, why don't you tell us what you brought to the table, sir? Uh, I just went down into my stash of beer that I keep in the refrigerator down in the basement, and I pulled out a Shinerbach because I really like a Shinerbach. Oh, it's good beer. You made a good choice. Very good choice. And why oh. do you think that ties into the issue at hand? It does, I, don't, I, I can't. You know, I was trying to see, did someone have a black eye so they have a shiner? I was trying to think of some <laughs> sort of way of, like... <laughs> the, fin- the final fight, I am pretty sure that a few people have shiners at the end of that fight. That's so, the connection. Right? I think they actually yeah. said when uh, Alex got punched in the face from uh, Johnny Rival... Uh, I think one of his siblings said, oh, I think that's going to, I think you're going to get a black eye or something like that. There you so go. So there you go. Uh, can you tell us uh, who uh, brewed your Shinerbach? Spatzel Brewery. Small town, small brewery. Shiner, Texas. Population 2069. Nice. nice. <laughs> Not noise. <laughs> so, uh, 2000, noise. To give a little bit of uh, more background on the beer we've got here from Gigantic Brewing, this is a 6.66 ABV. I see what they did there. Ah, uh, they're very clever. And it's to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the publication of Hellboy, Seed of Destruction. Gigantic Brewing teamed up with Dark Horse Comics to create 666 cases of Hellboy beer. This first bottle, in honor of their titular hero, is based off of one of his arguably best stories. It is a short story where little Hellboy becomes not evil because he discovers the joy of... Pancakes. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Jeff. Yeah, bud. Because I'm very nice to you. Uh huh. You are actually very nice to me. Very nice to you. I would also like to give you. Well, I'd like to give you number two in the series. Okay, because uh, I know that Hellboy is one of six. Yeah. And this is uh, Liz Sherman. Hey, Liz. And number three, which is. Ooh, chocolate mole stout. Yum. And this is Jonah Kroos. What? I know number four is out. I just haven't picked you up a bottle of that yet. Oh, you are too good to me. Thank you, Rick. That is amazing. Oh, citrus wit. So this generous. is. I, Rick is to... super generous because he is in control of our Patreon account. <laughs> and uh. I've already, I've already drank, and drank these ones before. So yeah, you went to the uh, open night. Uh, yeah, I've been to a couple of the open nights on. <clears> those. Yeah, you went to the yeah the beer release on that, which was really kind of neat. What do you think of this beer? I like this beer a lot this is kind of nifty it's it's got a uh, like a kind of a like a uh, 
it's a brownish a, red coloration. It's almost a brown ale type. Yeah, very much a brown brown ale. As soon as I opened it up, it's kind of like just smelling it. It smelled like Pink Hicks. It yeah. smelled like maple syrup, and I was trying to like go, oh, it's foaming up, and I kind of you know slurped down the uh, the foam coming out. And I was like, this is maple syrup froth. Yes, it's it's very heavy on the maple yeah. syrup, but at the same time, it's got the really the strong ale in there as well. It's got a kind of- yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's got a little rusty note, but it has very, very strong maple uh, tones on it from the, at the end and right at the beginning. Right, and then it kind of has a, a little bit, kind of like a pancakey batter kind of flavor too. Yeah. It's this is interesting. This is, this is as advertised all the way around, and it's got a fantastic, fantastic artwork on the front because it's Mike Mignola's Hellboy. So you gotta like that. How about your beer? Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your beer? I don't know that much about beer. I just know what I like. That's fine. I've That's never been much, much to spend much time thinking about about it aside from that very simple and straightforward criteria. <laughs> so I know that I started drinking Shiner Bach when I would go down to Austin uh, every year uh, to hang out with friends and play music and go he- listen to music. So we would often get Shiner Bach. So I think that was before it, it, it was available widely. So that's how I learned about it. So once I started being able to get it locally, I was like, I'm definitely getting this beer. Seeing it's from Texas, I don't think I've heard of that one before, but I think that's something that I would definitely look at and try to keep my eye out for and try to try, try some point in time. Yeah, it's a it's a delicious... Uh, it was either that or the... Uh, have the... Uh, some long boards, but I was like, those definitely don't fit thematically at all. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but those are quite good beers though mm-hmm. all right and now let's go ahead and get to our opening credits if you please jeff power pack issue number 32 october 1987 who's the villain credits writer louis simonson pencils john bogdanov inks hillary barda letters joe rosen colors john wellington editor carl potts editor-in-chief jim shooter and special thanks to John Figueroa, story consultant. Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, a.k.a. the Destroyer. He's the oldest power sibling, he disintegrates matter, he turns into energy, and he gets the family into trouble. Julie Power, a.k.a. Molecula, Mistress of Density, second oldest power sibling, and she controls her molecular density but can't control Alex. Jack Power, a.k.a. Counterweight, second youngest power sibling, increases, decreases the gravity of objects he touches, and is usually the troublemaker, but not in these issues. And finally, Katie Power, a.k.a. Starstreak, youngest power sibling. She can fly very fast, leaving a rainbow trail behind her, and also is disappointed in Alex and his shenanigans these last three issues. Guest starring, the Power Parents. We also have Trash. They're a teenage supervillain team, and they consist of Razorcut, who's got diamond hard and sharp skin and nails. Brute, a big bruiser with strength and limited intelligence. Crazy Legs, who has... Long, crazy legs. <laughs> yeah. And Airhead, who can inflate her head and fly, and Blasty Cap, who can focus on an object and cause it to explode. Garbage man, garbage man, sells whatever drugs he can. Is he rich? I don't know. He makes smokes out of blow. Look out! Here comes the garbage man. What are you doing? Singing the theme song to the big bad of this issue. You see, we are about to meet the supervillain gang Trash's leader, the Garbage Man. And oh boy, despite his catchy theme song, we do not like this guy. 
looks like a malformed Ed Norton off the Honeymooners and has the size and demeanor of Vogon. In fact, our introduction is this guy backhanding Razorcut across the room and through the floor. Now, keep in mind, as seen in last issue, this is Trash's toughest fighter. So Garbage Man is showing strength, power, and horrible leadership. He gave these kids a job and they blew it. Their failure has cost him $100,000 worth of cocaine, and like any blowhard villain from the 80s, he is going to take it out of their hides. The rest of Trash tries to stand up to the beefy brute and protect their friend. Sadly, the suspended super schmuck slams a subordinate soundly. This is three solid pages of verbal abuse and physical punishment dealt out by the garbage man. No matter what Trash says or does, all they do is get tossed out of the warehouse. The gang of goons grovel, gasping on the ground. Garbage man grabs a grip and gives it to the group. After all of his belly aching, he is going to give them a chance. They just have to do some deliveries for free until he decides they have paid back their losses. Worst credit card fine print ever. Yeah, the five supervillains don't like this one bit. And grumbling louder than Marvin the paranoid android, they shuffle off to make the delivery. But you have to give them some credit. Even though they are hungry and broke, they realize they are better off working together. Than going it alone. Aww, that's so sweet. I like when a group realizes that they are a family. How do they celebrate? By stealing fruit from a local bodega. Well, at least they're eating healthy, yay? Meanwhile in the Powers apartment, home of the fighting flapjacks. What a pile of pancakes Papa Power provides. Dripping with melted butter and steaming from being fresh off the griddle, the kids attack the stack with the gusto of a family enjoying a breakfast together. Jim looks quite proud of himself. The children are fighting like a hungry pack of piranhas over his cooking while Maggie reads the morning paper. Ah, life is good. Even with Maggie commenting on the news about the exploded crack house. But even that news is good, because with that one crack house down, the 80s drug problem is solved. Right? Right? Well, you see, Jeff, that one crack house is not where all the crack was made. Kind of like the family dog was not really taken to the farm upstate. Yeah, he was. All my pets have gone there. See, there is a special farm where they go to run and play all day long. Yeah. Back in the story, the kids are heading out the door for swimming lessons. Swim. Leaving the parents alone in their bathrobes. And Jim wants to wrestle. Hint, hint. You know, kind of in quiet. Jim, you sly scientist, you. You're using this free time to practice, so that way your kids won't get the best of you when you roughhouse with them. Um. Hey, Jeff, this isn't really about wrestling. It's about, you know, the birds, the bees, hint, hint, hint. You know, it's about storks, hint, hint. Wait, what are you hinting about? What, what are they doing then? What about, what about storks? And what about my family dog? What are, what are you saying? And this is the moment that I broke Jeff. Meh. He really has not been getting a lot of sleep recently, and, you know, it was bound to happen sooner or later. But... Maggie said, best fall, two out of three, and Skippy the fish, and my, my binket. <laughs> what? The kids head up to the roof instead of down to the street, because walking is for suckers, and they can fly. Plus, they can check out the burned-out husk of the crack house. As they fly over, said burnt building, they get a good whiff of cooked cocaine. And it must still be potent. They must be high, because they see a drug deal going down right next to the burned-out building. But no! Alex took down the crack house. There are no more drugs. All the drugs are gone. How can this be happening? Why? Worst day ever. And moving on, the kids check, and sure enough, there is a dealer offering free samples to a couple of kids. 
Alex is shocked. Shocked, I say. I told you, Alex. You can't shut down crack houses by super heroics. As the family ponders the Yoda-like wisdom of Jack, you see everybody's favorite rival, Johnny Rival, enter the scene. A few issues ago, we saw Alex's ex-bestie come down hard on drug dealers approaching kids, just like he is doing right now. The retailing reprobate recognizes the riled-up rival and rips the rogue's recently respiration-released relative. Power Pack gets down to the street level and costumes off, while the drug dealer just tears into Johnny Rival, letting him know how stupid his brother was for robbing a store instead of dealing drugs. Like a good smart criminal, he also points out that it is Johnny Rival's fault that Rip is dead. But never fear, Alex is here! Our hero runs in and elbows the drug dealer away. What? Johnny Rival repays his former best friend by elbowing him in the throat, and reminding Alex that he wants him out of his life. Duck. Completely ignoring the drug dealer, Johnny Rival unloads a verbal elbow on Alex, putting the blame of his brother's demise squarely at his feet, and wishing that he was as dead as his brother. Oh, then he punches Alex for good measure, knocking him off his feet. Alex was really just expecting another elbow. Crack. As Johnny Rival runs off, the drug dealer thanks Alex for helping to weed out the competition. I see what you did there. And tosses some vials of cracks on the prone power and payment. The rest of the family walks up to Alex as he is disintegrating the freebies. This scene has provided insight that A. Johnny Rival is still really ticked at Alex. B. The dealer is a minor fish in this food chain. C. The villain is still crack. And D. Alex is really good at getting punched in the face. True dat. But as the family flies off again, they do locate another villain. Or more importantly, a group of villains. And they do not look like they are hitchhiking. No, they are just walking. And it is just three of the members of Trash walking down the street, singing do what did it did it um did it do. Oh no no. The members of Trash have just completed their mission and are now heading back to the garbage man. But they're also playing it smart and have left Airhead and Crazy Legs behind to act as lookouts. And it worked. This was Crazy Legs who came up with this idea. And while Airhead wants to squash them now, Crazy Legs has a better plan. He wants to lead them into a trap at Garbage Man's base. So instead of a surprise attack now, they're going to lead them back to their boss's secret lair. You know, these kids who have already contributed to the destruction of a crack house. Hey, no one said that this team was as smart as Deep Thought or anything. I guess they're just playing their cards that they have been dealt. Crazy Legs heads down to inform the others of his plan, and later, back at the home office, they explain the plan to their boss. You what? You let them here? Are you out of your- Shrek power pack attack! And the Donnybrook begins. The surprise attack quickly turns as Garbage Man catches and tosses Alex into a wall. Thrumb. Julie, apparently not remembering what happened last time, performs another Julie hammer onto Razorcut's head, knocking him out cold. Shred. And ripping her legs to shreds. This causes her to go solid, crying, and not noticing Airhead swinging a board onto her head. Brack. Katie is so busy exchanging insults with Crazy Legs while trying to trip him up again that she slams headfirst right into a surprised brute. Conk knocking herself out of this fight and possibly a good couple of inches of height. Jack is the only one remaining. 
He faces off with Garbage Man and powers up his jackhammer punch. You fat load! You gross-out tub of goo! You hurt my brother! Eat Mega G's, fatso! Buemo! Garbage Man goes flying, getting laid out and cracking the floor where he landed. Unfortunately, though, Garbage Man does not have a glass jaw. Not bad, you wretched child. No one has ever toppled me before. I admire you for that. But I cannot forgive the term, tub of goo. Wham. And with that floor smack, Jack is knocked out as well. And even as Trash starts to celebrate, some interesting things happen. Brute cradles Katie, really showing concern for the little girl. Garbage man backhands the big man and then begins to really tear into his underlings. He directs them to tie up the unconscious pack as he preps some needles. You see, he has determined that these four powered up kids have to die. They've interrupted his work and they know where he lives. Kind of like stowaways on a spaceship. And instead of just killing them or reading poetry to them, old GM wants to make it look like a drug overdose. After the unaccidental overdose, he wants to dump the bodies at the destroyed crack house to act as gruesome scarecrows to keep away other vigilantes. But the big guy doesn't want to get his own hands dirty. No, he wants to see some loyalty from his team. One of them will have to pull the trigger. Or push the plunger, as it were. One by one, the members of Trash refuse to be the dealer of death. This is too much for them. Unfortunately for Blasting Cap, he did not speak up in time. The suspended swine snags Blasting Cap's ear, drops the syringe in his hand, and drags him over to the unconscious Julie Power. Garbage Man says it is kill or be killed, but the wild-haired young man is shaking and scared, and finally... He uses his power to explode the syringe. Thanks to Airhead's quick movement, Blasting Cap is pulled away before the Garbage Man can connect with his hand. Needless to say, he is angry. Again. Or, well, still. Let's get ready to rumble! Some more. Yep, this would be round three, I guess? Garbage Man charges trash, running through the group and scattering them like bowling pins. Crazy Legs suggests that his teammates wake up Power Pack to help them stop their boss. With no other target, but with the threat of more opposition, Garbage Man heads towards the still unconscious Katie, foot raised. Not so fast, El Kappa Garbage. Brute does not wish you to harm his little friend. And so, he smashes into the big boss man. But doom! And even though Crazy Legs provides some impressive backup by bicycle-kicking Garbage Man in the face, put it, put it, put it, put it, put it. the mean master of messes mauls the mobile miner moments before moving on to mash the meaty man-boy. Brute does cover and protect Katie from a massive beating, trying to save the unconscious child. Cacoon. With that distraction occurring, Razor releases Jack and Airhead checks on Alex. Trash is trying to make nice with Power Pack, but understandably, the kids are not ready to forgive and forget, especially as they check on the unconscious Julie and her shredded shins. Katie, awake now, is flying around Garbage Man as a distraction, and grudgingly, Power Pack begins to accept the team-up idea. After some impressive dodging and evading, Alex, Legs, Razor, and Jack get together and come up with a plan. Julie and Katie are distracting and obscuring GM's vision, while Alex and Razor create a big hole in the ground. Jack and Brute wind up some big haymakers while Crazy Legs sticks out his legs behind the big guy's heels. So as the punch connects, Ba-boom! Ol' Humpty Dumpty does a really big fall down a big hole. The two teams are all impressed with the amazing teamwork, but before they can pass out the cigars, a couple of big hands reach up through the hole. Now this is way too much for Blasting Cap. The frightened lad begins to shake, which is the hint for the Assemble Supers. And then, with an anguished, No! And with all of the kids defenestrating themselves, Cap lets loose and blows up the warehouse like it is the end of the universe. Crack-a-boom! 
Later, the kids observe the burning building and the approaching emergency vehicles from a nearby roof. And much like last issue, they are enjoying the sight of the fire, wishing they brought marshmallows, and probably getting another contact high from Garbage Man's stockpile. Trash thanks Power Pack for the help, while bemoaning the fact that their old boss probably survived the fire. Then, with an adios, they start to head off. At least until Mr. Boy Scout Alex tries to stop them, pointing out that they are, you know, villains. Alex may be on his own. Katie, holding Brute's hand, points out that their saving them shows they are not really villains. Alex doubles down, blaming them for the drugs, but Razor counters by saying they just deliver, they don't force kids to do them. Then Crazy Legs points out that if they go to jail and get split up, it's worse for them. They all come from broken homes, and Trash is a family. Together, they can survive. And he doesn't stop there. He slams Alex and the others as little well-fed white kids who judge and disrespect them without understanding them. Society is the villain, not them. And now it is Katie's turn. She is angry. She yells back that they do not know what Power Pack has been through. Monsters, aliens, kidnapped authors. But Alex pulls it together. He points out that it is the people that decide, not society. People make the choice to do drugs or to take money from drugs. And then they are no better than the so-called society. He continues by pointing out that sometimes being a hero means you have to say no, and if you can't do that, well then, you might not be supervillains, but you sure are wimps. Mike, drop. And Razor's only comeback is, snotty baby hero geeks, as Power Pack flies off. We are left with Trash really weighing Alex's words, and it does have them thinking. They ponder whether or not they could ever be more than what they are, but they still realize that being heroes really is not for them. So... They're throwing in the towel, huh? At least they do know where their towels are. Okay, this has been happening the entire show, and I just do not get it. What's with all the Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy references? Hey, Sasset, man, this is our 42nd episode. Can you believe it, my fruity dude? Well, my response to that could be... Funny, how just when you think life can't possibly get any worse, it suddenly does. Or if you would prefer, I could respond with... Well, I wish you'd just tell me rather than try to engage my enthusiasm. But instead, I think I will just say, Next issue! Sunspot, Warlock, and the Spectacular Spider-Man! This one ought to be fun! But before that, next episode we will check in with X-Factor Annual 2 as Power Pack has a small run-in with X-Factor, Quicksilver, Lockjaw, and the Inhumans. And that's the comic! So let's talk about what we just talked about. But let's start with the Power Pack packaging. Let's talk about this cover of Power Pack number 32. Somebody want to tell us what we see on this cover and why we have problems with it. Okay, well, first of all, this cover is massively mistaken. It is outrageous and egregious in how mistaken it is. At no point did Garbage Man have any trash cans. Okay, um, you're right. And also, I think you're missing a bigger point <laughs> at no point did he put power pack into garbage cans again you're right but you're missing a bigger problem we're seeing i don't recall him smoking <sighs> okay um i'm gonna move on to osvaldo <laughs> are you sure he's not smoking i no, think you're pretty sure he's smoking no, no he never smokes no. um his mouth is open most of the time i was gonna keep the cigarette <laughs> cigar i don't know it could happen we will say that this was uh Drawn by John Bogdanoff, and the inker was Hilary Barta. And yes, you are right. We have Garbage Man. He's got the Power Kids in front of him. He's holding up Katie by the scruff of her uniform. The other three Power Kids are in two separate garbage cans, and he is smoking. But uh, there is a little problem. Do you want to address this, Osvaldo? 
I mean, besides the fact that he's depicted as a big black ape-like man, and in the, on the inside, even though he is big and somewhat ape-like, he is white man in the comic. I mean, yeah, it <laughs> it's really I don't know a troubling image I think for the for the comic, but then in conversation with what's inside, it's even weirder. Like, why were, was this inking and coloring choices made? Would be my question about it. Yeah, I don't know. I I would like to say that it was just a mistake uh, uh, because a lot of times the comic and the covers are done separately, but the people who did this cover also worked on the comic itself. So you would think that at some point in time, some conversation would occur and they would say, oh, wait, this is wrong. I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that he was supposed to be in some, some kind of shadow, except the background is all yellow. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, that's definitely not shadowy because if you look at his arms, for example, like if you take a look at his right arm holding yeah. the can that's got Alex and Jack in it, he's, his skin is clearly like dark, really dark brown. It's not like just shadow. Oh. The only other thing I could possibly think of is they may have somebody may have said, you know what, it's. The character might have been designed to be an African-American. And mm-hmm. then they were like, you know what? It's not a good idea. And they changed all the coloring on the inside, but they didn't change it on the outside. Yeah. It, it makes me think of when O.J. Simpson was on on the cover of Time, I think it was. And they darkened his skin for the cover where they had his mugshot. Uh-huh. Uh, have you ever if you ever watch uh, either either the documentary on O.J. Simpson that was on HBO or The People versus O.J. Simpson? There's a whole bit about or they explain how Time basically wanted to sell him as more criminal, so they darkened him up. It's messed up. Yeah, <laughs> we agree. Yeah, fully agree. <laughs> it's very very problematic, especially concerning the content that's on the inside as well, and and kind of the makeup and general descriptions of the characters of Trash who. We've been talking about the last issue, but you know, we're going to talk about more that we've got you here now as well. Mm-hmm. I, I I want to like this cover because it's the skin coloring aside. I like what this cover represents. It represents everything about who this character is. His name is Garbage Man. He's throwing Power Pack in the trash. He has beaten Power Pack, and they're you know they're beat up. They're in the trash cans. It is perfectly describing what's in this issue. Yeah. And then it's just like, but I can't like this cover. <laughs> Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, uh, Bognov, I like his art, you know, yeah. style, and normally this would be a great cover, but but that choice is just, I don't know, yeah, yeah. It, it's not a good choice. No, it's not. No, it's not. But let's get into talk about some other things that are good and bad inside. Let's talk a little more about Garbage Man and Trash and exactly what kind of representation we're talking about with minorities and kind of what we all think about how these characters are are represented inside. We'll just go ahead and say on the inside, Garbage Man is a big, giant white man who does have exaggerated ape-like arms. <laughs> yes, and his head is below his shoulders. His shoulders are a straight line. It was actually, I think, it's kind of like he's very stylistically drawn, which is actually something I really like about the art in this comic. Let's talk about the makeup of some of the characters besides. Besides Garbage Man, let's talk a little bit about the the main team that we've got here. Um, starting, I guess, with Razorcut, since he's I don't know who's the leader, Crazy Legs or Razorcut, but I think they kind of vie for leadership. I would love 
I would love a trash uh, series, honestly. I really actually quite like this team. I was uh, talking about it in our last episode uh, that I thought that they were very analogous to uh, X-Men. Like, you can almost do a character drop for drop uh, with these people. Where hmm. Brute could be Colossus and Razor Cut could be Wolverine. Um, Airhead could be Angel. Uh, yeah. Blasting Cap could be, I don't know, Jubilee. No, probably Scott Summers with exploding stuff and but not having Havoc. the best control over it. Yeah, yeah or ha- oh, Havoc, Havoc would be a great descriptor. On th- yeah, a great example of that. And then Crazy Legs could be, I don't know, Stiltman probably joined X-Men at one point. Oh, he'd be like the beast. Or, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, the other thing I thought of is they would make they would fit perfectly in Fallen Angels, which I don't yes. know if you've ever read that series. But they would. Oh, no, I love yeah. Fallen Angels, yeah. As a group, I find them very interesting because we don't often see characters like them that are right. both depicted positively but also are in a bad position and making like they're the bad guys, quote-unquote, in a way that feels... I don't know. It feels more real. There's some. There's. I don't. I don't. I don't want to use the word realism because it's not realistic. It's a superhero comic. But there's something right. about the way the characters are rendered that make that give them a sense of of, of having a past without us having to know what that past is. Maybe that's a good way of describing it. Right. We can imagine that they have pasts. I don't think that you're too far off with the idea that they are realistic in the sense that in a real environment you're going to have people who come from broken homes come from um, areas of town that are you know the for lack of a better term the wrong side of the tracks come from the projects come from areas where you know there's struggle or there's addiction or there's something that's negative and you're going to have people that are in a bad situation they're they're a gang is what they are Mm -hmm. they're they're just like a gang that has gone together. It's like, okay, we're stronger together. We're, you know, as we're making bad choices solo, we're making bad choices as a team, but at least as a team, we're together. So. Yeah, they can diffuse the consequences a little bit, right? Because, right. Because they have a group of them. Um, that, and, and they, and they look out for each other's backs. And so at the same time though, you know, you think of them, think of them like that. It's just, okay, they've got superpowers. Okay. That's just an extra thing, but they live in a power, a world where, superpowers are kind of the norm so yeah it is realistic in the sense that people could identify with oh yeah i've seen people like that or i've been like that or i you know i know people like that yeah i think the team would be fine if it wasn't for brute honestly i think they would be fine without brute his name is literally brute like like there, there's a reason that the 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 very very toxic stereotype of the black brute, right? There, he, that's literally yes. what he is, and that's troubling. Well, they're all they're all pretty much so on the nose. It's Pinocchio. They they, they all have they all have uh, quite certain stereotypes, but we have. Well, first of all, you've got the we've got the big strong guy who's probably dumb. Yeah. Okay. We've seen that but over gentle, and over and over again. But a gentle soul. But gentle, a gentle, a gentle giant yes, a gentle brute, soul too. Yeah. It's like it's it's Fezzik. Right. I was thinking <laughs> more Princess like Princess Bride. Right. I guess I was thinking more like King Kong. But I, I oh, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I don't. I hate to use that because obviously that is a stereotype. But that that's a that's right. a uh, an ugly racial idea. But he's in that he's cut of that cloth in a way, which you know, which is a shame. Right. And, you know, he serves a couple purposes, though, because, you know, of course, he's going to be the first one on the team who really recognizes 
oh, we've got this little girl who's possibly hurt. I'm going to care for this little girl. Of course, he's going to fill that role in the narrative as mm-hmm. well. But at the same time, there's some parts of the aesthetics of the character that I really like. I do like the big, beefy, strong guy. I, I like the Guido characters, the Colossus yeah. characters. Yeah. Brute needs to do uh, leg day because he's got tiny little <laughs> legs. Yeah, I He mean, keeps skipping leg is- day. He's all upper body. And I've seen guys like that at the gym, and it's not a good look. He can't do. He can't possibly do leg day because there's only one character on this team who always is hogging the leg. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, he's crazy. always yeah. Crazy legs perpetually hogs the uh, yeah the leg press. And it's like uh, yeah, my turn. And crazy no. like nah, man, my turn now. Yeah. It's always my turn. Always um, my turn. It's always leg day. If only they could have played with it, right? They could have made him. They could have switched up a little some of the personalities or something to make it so that. He wasn't stuck being the dumb big. The one black character was a, the dumb big guy. You know what I mean? Like they could have done yeah. something with different. Right. He could have still been a big like, like Colossus, right? He he gets a, some sort of benefit of of he's not dumb, right? He is as like, he has the no. soul of an artist or whatever they say about Colossus. Yeah, exactly. You know? So they, you know they could have. Yeah. I think I think the team could be fine. Um, Crazy Legs is. You know, somewhat stereotypical. I don't know why he's wearing a basketball uniform all the time, but... <laughs> uh, um, it's because he's a fan of uh, Walt uh, Fraser, I think. I, I looked this up. It was uh, it, Nick's number 10 uh, uh, was retired, and it was, uh, I think it was Walt Fraser. Right. Good, so, you actually looked that up. Yep, and he, yeah, he retired in 76. Okay, so. I mean, all right. So that, I mean, it still seems like a weird, like, joy, you know, but... Otherwise, I mean, is razor cut Asian? I don't know. I asked that question in my piece. Like, I really I, say yes. I think I'd so. I'd really say yes. Yeah. It would make sense. Why would it make sense? I was thinking that it, it, it would make sense to have razor cut be Asian just because it seems like they're trying to hit certain characters, a certain group of characters that would be seen in New York around this time that also would kind of be seen as the, the 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 poor or the or the forgotten and it just seems like they're they're need they're like hitting certain characters and trying to give some sure but i mean some representation the, the flip side of that is that you end up with tokens right it's like you end up yes. with one, a grab bag of one of each well i guess i guess blasting cap and, and airhead are white i guess i mean airhead is airhead is kind of a glowing yellow but but close enough <laughs> I'm really unsure about uh, Airhead and, and exactly who or what she is. But yeah, um, Blasting Cap with the red hair and uh, it, there's some part of it that I'm thinking Irish or kind of that the old stereotype. And and not being from the East Coast, it's just what I think of as a stereotype is how the Irish used to be thought of in, sure, but not, in, but not in uh, on the East Coast. <laughs> Maybe the 1880s, but not the 1980s. Not in 1980s. I know. I'm just. I, it, you know, if 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 you're if you're going to have if you're going to have some representation of of a white character who is I don't know maybe thought down on, give him red hair. Right. <laughs> I mean, the idea. I like the idea of of them all being kind of uh, marginalized within their own communities and forming this family together right like they all are i mean crazy legs references several times a family that he has to take care of we don't know the details about that but it's supposed to give him lend him i think 
an air of more honor or like nobility of his what he's doing like even though he's doing the wrong thing he's doing it for the right reason at least that's the impression i get from the comic it seems like he's the uh, caretaker of the family because he says you know his mom's on drugs and so nothing else is going on there and it kind of seems that they uh, intimate that like airhead comes from a abusive in one way or another family and then uh, that that carrot not carrot off uh that uh, blasting cap uh is you know doesn't have parents that he's an orphan so the uh yeah, you're right on the redemption arc, and I think that the redemption arc is something that they they really try to sell, especially at the end of the book. Kind of going a little bit out of order there, but <clears throat> um, having them have that conversation with Power Pack at the end where they really try to discuss what works, or, or they really try to discuss what makes them be heroes, what they're doing was wrong, that they could be heroes, and then the conversation they have that Trash has with themselves saying, you know, we can never be heroes. We have to do this our way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. maybe that way is not like being straight out villains, but it's definitely not going to be going out and saving people. Yeah, I mean, I think they're... When I'm generous towards this comic, I think it does a good job of demonstrating um, the difference between the the power kids and the kids who are in trash, right? The mm-hmm. They have breakfast with their family, right? Their parents might be, I don't know, blind to the fact that their kids are running around in superhero costumes all the time, but they're not neglectful, like, purposefully. They're not... They, they, they feed and clothe their kids. They take care of them. It's a safe environment to a certain degree. And the trash kids don't have that. So... I think it does a good job of, of showing that to us. And and I think that it's also, there's a great juxtaposition that occurs, speaking of the about how they are fed and how they, um, have, they have their meals, you've got this great opulent breakfast that the power kids are having with pancakes and the dad and the mom in their bathrobes, and, and it's a beautiful Sunday morning. they got a safe and secure location. You've got that paired with the breakfast that, we see trash have where they go and steal it from the bodega and they you know yeah you, know, you have razor cut threatening the the owner of the bodega you know just peeling the apple with his finger which is an image that i remember from reading yeah. as a kid <laughs> there was a lot of stuff in this issue that really stuck out in my head where i'm like i totally remember this panel i 100 percent remember this panel i don't know what's going on here 100 yeah. percent of this panel i remember though uh but yeah uh Here's the thing. Even their five-finger discount breakfast, they stole five apples. Right. They didn't rob rob the convenience store Johnny Rival style. They took five apples. The owner of that place could probably wash that off pretty quick. So. Right. I mean, and, and there was a threat there, Yeah. but it wasn't straight-up physical violence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, part of me is curious to see how they were written because a couple, I know a couple of these characters show up again in Cage which is a, a later volume of a Luke Cage comic from the 90s, I think. But I don't, I've never read those comics, so I don't know how they're treated in those issues. Uh, half the team is gone. and I haven't read them, but I looked them up on Wikipedia because that's how I go. But yeah, uh, I think half the team's missing. They get a new person who says he's his name's like Thor Kid. He dresses like Thor. Who knows if he even has powers. And then uh, I think that... Uh, Razor cut is a uh, like purple now in that. I think it would have been fascinating to see 
them use these characters again. It would have been nice to see Power Pack run across them again, yeah. or them show up in New Mutants just in passing, just somewhere where like they kind of run across these characters. Even Spider Man, yeah, just having a yeah. little bit Cloak more and, of a, Cloak and a Dagger. run with him. Cloak and yeah. Dagger would have been I a mean, perfect one for him. Fit in that whole genre of like the street level mm-hmm. kind of Daredevil, all, all sorts of yeah. I was thinking Daredevil too. And they could have been a really interesting, just ambiguous. They're not heroes. They're not villains. Are they both or are they neither? Yeah, they, they, you know, you could see them working for somebody like you know Kingpin or something. But they're working for him because we need the money, but we don't necessarily prescribe to his style of villainy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This brings into question really the grays between the white hat and the black hat, and how. There's good guys, there's bad guys, and then there's those that are just in the fringes. And they don't neatly fit in either place. And I think that that's the great thing about what this issue really shows us, is that it's really easy for Alex to just kind of lump these kids as part of the crack epidemic. And they're bad, because Mm -hmm. they, they are part of the problem. Now, we're just surviving. We're doing what we can. We got no other options. Yeah, it's like don't have, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like, how they can't use yes. their... They, they need, to like, food and shelter before they can even think about doing mm-hmm. something more than that, right? And right. It's something the power kids take for granted. Exactly. And I think it's a good wake-up call for them as well, especially since the last two issues of this Crack trilogy, it's just been Alex saying, Crack is bad, I'm going to destroy a Crack house, and that's going to solve all the world's problems. Do you think, though, that that they wake up because i don't i'm not i'm not sure that they do i well i haven't read ahead or you know in years so i don't remember but i think this uh storyline just kind of drops after now right, right within the within the confines of this these three issues i guess or this particular issue we're talking to you about but like i i think it gets alex off his high horse and he and he he recognizes that he can't just go out and eradicate a drug problem on a one-to-one level yeah because that's just not going to work so i think yeah i think i could see that where it knocks alex down a little bit i think uh i think the rest of the family is honestly going to stay exactly where they were jack was pretty much a realist about this where he's all alex you can't stop this with what you're doing it's not how that works it's it's a problem and busting a house isn't going to do anything about it right and yeah. i think i think you know julie was kind of along the same lines there too katie had i think this helped katie realize a little bit about that it's not just all black and white that there is some grays in there mm-hmm. and that you know just wishing people could be good is not going to make them good they've got to make their own choices she still had hopes yeah she still had hope i find it interesting though that what i like about this comic also is even though within the by the end of it we are not we don't see at least for me i don't see a a significant change in the attitudes of the power kids they kind of leave in a huff um but the word the last word is given to trash it's not given to the power kids right like we're honest yeah which i this was honestly i'm sorry this was honestly seemed like it was a uh a trash issue that power pack was in yeah because it it opens with trash it ends with trash and trash is in the middle so yeah it's what I, I like that about it, but the the, the problem is, is that it, it is still Power Pack's series. So the attitude we see in Alex or his siblings is the one that the I think the comic tacitly endorses because it's their book, right? Like, I'm not sure. 
But I think that's that's how I read it. So even though I think it is trying to do something different by giving us something to chew on to think about trash, we never you know we never see trash again. We don't. It's not their questions or their ethics that we are exploring. It's the power kids who have a very kind of middle class understanding of the world because of the privilege that they that they come from. Right, and and that's kind of Alex's. Alex ties it up as saying you know. You can't just say it's society mm-hmm. that's to blame. You know, you're you've got to take your own personal. Uh, you you have to make the changes personally yourself, which it's kind of funny because he's speaking that to them, but that's really the lesson that he should be speaking to himself. Yeah, he does this a yeah he did that a lot in this series though, where he even you know, or it's just like the previous one where they go he goes to destroy the crack house and you know before he had to be talked into doing it as a team, right. and then he went off on his own and at the end after he got his bacon saved from his family by his family, uh, he's like we did it as a team. It's like I, Alex, you no, you suck. You yeah. no, you don't get to be happy about this. We had to we we had a, a vagary of a plan that you totally just disbanded. Ah, so yeah. I'd like to think that, you know, Alex is on his high horse at the end and having that, his little speech, he may have realized something himself. And that's what I have to write into it because we don't have the really nice tying up uh, at the end of this. I mean, this is kind of the end of this storyline, so we don't have that nice, you know, here's how they changed moving forward. We just have them going on to the next thing. But... It's all part of how Alex grows up, and we think that you know he is going to hopefully not go down this path again. Yeah. He does it in other ways. I, I, I would love to <laughs> talk a little bit also about about Katie's little tantrum she has right at the at the end, where she says, yeah. "Oh yeah, what do you know about what we know? You don't know where we've been. You don't know anything about us. We've fought monsters. We've saved the world, and we've almost got killed, right? So, and I think her little." tantrum that she's having i don't i don't like to call it a tantrum because i'm not trying to like downplay what i often think of as the real trauma these kids would be experiencing if they were really do, like being kidnapped by space aliens and all the stuff that happens to them or when her mom when their mom gets hurt which is like the most heartbreaking part of power pack as far as i'm concerned uh, i'm sure you've already covered that um but but at the same time the and i point this out in the piece that i wrote about these issues is there's a problem when you are when the comic is asking us to equate fictional trauma, being kidnapped by aliens, having your mom be the uh, collateral damage of a fight of Asgardians or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and the real world issues that the story itself is trying to address, right? Marginalized kids, street kids, drug problems, etc. So. In, in within the context of the comic, Katie's not wrong because she has had a traumatic life as a superhero five-year-old. But at the same time, within the thinking about it from the perspective of uh, a superhero comic trying to comment on the real world, it falls kind of flat because we're trying to compare a fictional thing, a thing that doesn't really happen, with a real thing that's happening as we speak. You know, you can't. You it, it's really hard to you know look at things like you just like you're saying it's like i'm having these problems here and it, and it's what you see everyday life it's like i may be having problems in my life in work in what i do and somebody else is like oh i've had a hot, really tough day i couldn't get my coffee on in the morning man don't that you don't understand what i'm going through yeah 
I, and, yeah. and, and, and you there, you can't conflate, you know, on a simple, mundane, everyday life thing, you can't try to weigh how somebody's life is worse and your life is better or anything like that. When you go into a comic book realm, you're right. It's really hard to say, okay, we're going to say whose life is better, whose life is worse. I have to deal with cosmic forces and magic. I have to deal with life on the street. We're, we're, we're going to fail completely because we're coming from two different ideologies. We're coming from two different backgrounds. We're coming from two different... Our lives are completely different. And what's a stressor for me is gonna, not going to be a stressor for you. And it's hard to really look at what a comic book person could really be dealing with and what I could be dealing with. Yes, and and I think the fact that from the from a reader perspective, um, one of the things that's being described is a real thing, and the other one is a fictional thing, right? So I think that that's that right. I think makes it that complicates it, or that that makes it I think fail a bit as which uh, I think is, you know, I just wrote about the I don't know if you're familiar with the Marvel and DC did the these famine relief comics in the 80s uh, for like you know during the time with the Ethiopian famine in the early 80s. And it was when you put a real-world problem into the superhero genre, you get the problem of comparisons that just don't work because one of something is very real and another thing is is not. (laughs) Wasn't that also the big problem that we had after 9-11 where there was a lot of people that were trying to really they were trying to compare this and they were trying to put the 9-11 incidents into comics and they were running into problems because it's like, okay, it doesn't work in these contexts because if they, if we had people with superpowers, they could solve, they would have stopped 9-11. Yeah, right. But we don't live in that world. Yeah. And so they can't. And so it doesn't fit. The real world stuff has always been problematic in uh, comics. It's kind of like, okay, uh, what you know, what's more comfortable to read about? Well, an army of ghost ninjas is coming that we need to fight because we got the uh, magic amulet now that we can destroy their ghost king. Or, um, yeah, my neighbor's being sexually abused. Yeah. Oh, ghost army, huh? Yeah, it's... The flip yeah, side, the like irony that. of that is we also don't want these comics to not try to address those things right so it's that's exactly. that's the tension yeah they can't win for trying right and it's and then of course we always have to go back to hey but we don't want any politics in our comics yeah no 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 one with any kind yeah. of understanding uh would say something like that <laughs> Because that's what comics have been. Mm-hmm. Just like everything else in the world is, no matter what you create or no matter what you do, you are going to be installing some type of personal beliefs, personal understanding, personal bias, and whether it be politics, religion, your views on the world, your understanding of how things work, your views on guns and violence, especially with uh, you know capes and fights and tights. All of that is going to influence how you write, draw, create a comic book, and how you read and consume it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And it exists in a context, right? Like, we have a different... A lot of times, there's things that we read in, in comics that we 
would it fly today, right? That we read right. from like 80s comics, right? Yeah. Or 60s comics or whatever it might be. Um, and there's things that we go back and even just like five years ago and you're like, whoa, like I can't believe that, you know, like that that was, except no one said anything about that then. <laughs> if that were released today, even a few years later, there would be a, you know, people would object to this. So it's kind of always shifting uh, our understandings of these things. These three comics are definitely, I think, these three issues are definitely written from a good place, like with good intentions. It's just good intentions aren't always enough. <laughs> at the at the same time, I, and it's kind of one of my problems that I have with a lot of media or yeah, any any kind of media, whether it's books, film, TV. Sometimes we have a hard time looking back on it. And we really want to try to censor it. And I think a lot of times we we shouldn't be censoring it. We should be understanding it. Maybe not necessarily celebrating it, but enjoying it in a context. I am extremely proud that I found back in the 90s at a Comic-Con a bootleg copy of Song of the South on DVD. And I still own that. And I will always own that. And I will keep a hold of that. Because... There is things about that movie that I find fascinating and I enjoy, but I recognize the racism. I recognize the setting that it's in. I recognize what the stories are saying and what the stories are telling and how it is. It, it fails on many, many, many levels. But at the same time, I also want to still understand it and view it in the context of of a lot of of where it fits into history and like yeah, i said I mean, I, I not not not, not sell yeah not celebrate it you know it's like i want to recognize you know we as a we as a people have to recognize birth of a nation for what it did for cinema but we also have to recognize that it is a horrible film with its message <laughs> so it's there's a right. lot of yeah, there's a lot exactly of things you have to do the with example that. i was going to bring up right there's, yeah. there's a difference uh, between um, discussing or studying or even keeping as an archive um, some problematic piece of media and um, either, as you say, celebrating it or um, not addressing it at all, right? So right. if you showed your kids Song of the South, right, you wouldn't just put it on the way you might put on something else like keep them busy and not think you know what I mean like yeah. let me put yeah. something on a DVD player real quick while I wash the, so I can wash the dishes and do some, put in a load of laundry right yeah. you're not going to do that you're going to talk to them about it at least I would hope you would right yeah, so like, so there's like, a hey, difference between that yeah it's kind of like hey do you want to watch Daniel Tiger for a little while or do you want to watch Song of the South or the birth of a nation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, do you want to watch American History X? Uh, no, it's got a great scene at the beginning. Edward Orton's he's just he's just bad. Fantastic. He's just great. He's he does a great role. Or would you like to watch uh, you know uh, Odd Squad? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and and I mean definitely not saying that these books you know go up to the level of any of this media that we're talking about. But no, the same no, time, but at the same time, I think that we recognize that okay, this was. And it's hard to say this because there's a lot of things where like, well, that was just done back in the 80s or, well, that was the way that we talked about those things back in the 70s. 
this was set in the 80s. It was created in the 80s. There was different understandings. There was different sensitivities back then. Um, we recognize that you know this was a snapshot in time, like many things are. We talk about the good in there. I think there's a great message that still is in there. It's, yeah. you know, this was what it was like. Our conversation with Wheezy about these issues. Yeah, she was talking to uh, John Figueroa. I want to know who this John Figueroa person is. Actually, we we Do talked you know to Wheezy. We. Yeah, we talked to Weezy. That was the friend of one of her daughters, and he lived in the projects, and uh, his sister found a gun that was from a crack bust. So when Johnny Rival found a gun, she took that story from him. He was talking a lot about the crack houses that were out there. Um, the scene where the kids are looking in the crack house in the second issue of this, John Bogdanov went to a crack house and climbed up on on a fire escape and looked in a crack house so he could get perspective drawing of what it looks like in there. Mm. So, I mean, these things were real in New York at the time when they were living there. And this is the things that they heard about and saw. And Wheezy wrote this story based upon things she was hearing from friends of her kids. Yeah, I mean, I, as someone who was living in New York at the, at the same time, you know, and, and lived through it too, I think also think that there's a a perspective on on everything that was going on at the time with the with the uh, you know the, with the crack epidemic that is still I'm not sure exactly how to put it it's still it's not romanticized it just feels like it's still being looked at from a pretty middle class um, perspective that isn't that can't maybe conceive of what those communities are like or what it means to make a life in those places when the vast majority of people who are living in those communities have nothing to do with crack, right? Like mm-hmm. right they're up. they're just going to work and living their lives and doing their thing, and they have to deal with that as a danger or a peril that's different from if you live where the power kids live, right? Mm-hmm. It's a feature of the neighborhood. Right. And we don't we don't have necessarily projects in Portland, Oregon, where we live, um, but there are definitely areas of town that we can see and that we go through and we drive through or, or walk through yeah. where it's... We definitely can tell that there it's a different society that exists within that area. Oh yeah, there's definitely zones. And I think you would get that everywhere. Yeah, you get that everywhere. But I, uh, it's, I worked with a guy who lived in New Orleans and he was saying, he goes, yeah, you got all these tourists in here and they do not understand that, uh, you know, you're in an area and it's historic and it's beautiful, but don't go across that street because that's where you get killed. Yeah. And he goes, and it was a very big checkerboard pattern like that. And it literally was just like a block. Yeah. This was the bad block. You don't, this is a bad place. Go, go one block over. You're great, but not this block. So, yeah. And, and it's one of the things as, as tourists, you might not see it. You know, if you live in that environment, you know where it is. And also depending upon your social class, you observe those areas in different ways. Right. If you live in those areas, what's the big deal? I live here. It's not a problem. Your whereas, baseline is adjusted. Right. Whereas if, you know, you're, you're middle class, you're going through there, it's like, oh, let me lock the doors. And you you may not even know you're doing it. You just do it. But it's, yeah, it, it is one of the things that you start to recognize when you 
when you read things like this and when you think about things like this and you and you observe your own reactions to places. The, um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the Marvel, uh, I don't know about Wheezy and, and, and Walt or whoever, but um, I think a lot of the Marvel writers and artists in the 70s and somewhat in the 80s, when they came to New York, New York was a, you know, a tough place back then. It was, it was definitely not what New York is like uh, now. And I think that also colored the New York that they give us in their comics. And so, yeah. Well, I know, I know from our conversations with Wheezy, she mentioned that the Power Kids apartment was based on their apartment, Walt and her apartment, yeah. and they lived up on the Upper East Side. Yeah. So, you know, that was their view, and they were looking over at the projects. They were definitely living in a middle-class type of an area. You know, good and bad, that's what it is. Yeah. But I, I want to... Um, I love this conversation, but we should move on a little bit. Uh, I'm going to just do this really quickly. I like to try to find a library card in the book or something something in the comic book that I think is an allusion to actual literature of some sort. And I don't know if this is entirely true, but it's just something I kind of felt. So my thought is that I was kind of looking at Garbage Man and Trash, and I may be really off base here, but I was kind of thinking that there's a little bit of an allusion with Oliver Twist and Fagin and the boys and pickpockets he kind of gathered around him. So I, I kind of see it as a very kind of twisted version of that Charles Dickens tale about the orphan child being pulled in and trained by some elderly thief. Mm-hmm. Trash kind of seems a little bit like, you know, that they were some kids who lived out in the areas like we've been talking about, and they were kind of brought in to do a job for this Fagin-esque type character. Because... Gar- if only, you know, Garbage Man could be more Fagin <laughs> and less like Garbage Man. But yeah, the, the, some of the manipulation was a little bit the same, using the idea of family and the need to pull them in with the family and just that healthy dose of abuse and physical violence. And then, you know, throwing them, th- that piece where you know, he threw them out and, you know, I'm just going to give you one more chance as more of a little, as more of a way of trying to, you know, abuse them or kind of gaslight them a little bit more like, you need me more than. I need you, and I'm helping to protect you. Like I said, it's it's a little bit of a stretch. But I don't think it's a stretch. I, just, I mean, I think you know those those illusions are if you see them, they're there. Those echoes are there. I mean, the 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 idea of the the thief or the criminal who brings urchins under his wing to train and who is abusive to them or manipulates their insecurities or their vulnerabilities. I think is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fine, and and. I mean, he's not a racial caricature in the co- in the comic itself, but he is on the cover. And yep. Fagin, there's been many uh, analyses of Oliver Twist with Fagin being people saying Fagin is an anti-Semitic character. So oh. okay. you know, there's all sorts of parallels I think that are that are possible there. I don't. That's not my area of that's not my area of like literary expertise. Though I've I've studied a little bit. But now that you mention it, it makes me interesting. Maybe I should read Oliver Twist. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad that I did that. No, I just in reading it and just thinking about it a little bit, because there was no straight up mention of any books or any kind of literature. It just had that feeling of the the um, the trope of a man who is surrounding himself with a bunch of kids to be his pickpocket thieves and i've read various books where that's kind of been part of the of the trope of what they had i think uh 
I can't remember the name of the book now. It's something uh, something Locke. I can't remember the author's name. But I, I read a book recently that's kind of in a fantasy setting, and that was the same kind of trope where you know, he's kind of collecting in those kids to be in that area. What was it? What did you say? Do you think it was? Uh, Lies of Locke Lamora. Lies of Locke Lamora. Yes. There you go. There you go. I'll just go back to my corner. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. That's. I that's mean, what it even was. something like even more um, relevant to what we're talking about is The Wire. I don't know if you've watched The Wire, but part of the it part of the uh, premise or, or early on, they established that the reason why they have all these like 13 year old and 14 year old kids selling drugs is because. If they get caught, they just go to juvie, and they can come. Their parents can come and get them a lot of times, mm-hmm. and they can just go right back on the street. So once you're 18, yep. you're you're more of a liability for the drug trade than when you're 14. And you're much easier to control at that young right. age as well. So that was my library corner, and now that Jeff is back, why don't you tell us a little bit about your science corner, sir? Will do. Let's talk about a very serious subject that was brought up in this issue by both Dr. Jim Power and his son Jack. The subject, not swimming for an hour after you have eaten. So why is this? And is this scientifically sound advice? The concept of waiting to swim is based on the idea that after a big meal, blood will be diverted away from your arms and legs towards your stomach's digestive tract. And if your limbs don't get enough blood flow to function, you're at risk of drowning. It's true that digestion redirects some of the blood from the muscles to aid in the digestive process. With reduced blood flow, there is a potentially less oxygen available to the working muscles and stomach, which is a potential cause for cramping. Cramps are involuntary, spasmodic contractions of skeletal muscle during or after exercise, usually related to fatigue. But cramping during exercise is more likely due to a combination of factors, such as dehydration, electrolyte imbalance, and neurological fatigue, which are unique to each person. The truth, though, is we have enough blood to keep all of our body parts functioning after a big meal. So what does this data say about the myth? An examination of the Royal Life Saving Association's Australian reports on drowning over the past few years gives no mention to lives being lost after eating, and neither the American Academy of Pediatrics, the United States Consumer Product Safety Commission, or the American Red Cross offer any guidelines or warnings related to swimming after eating. While swimming on a full stomach can be uncomfortable and, if excessive, can lead to vomiting, it's unlikely to put you at greater risk of drowning. So go ahead and eat and go ahead and swim. You should be perfectly fine. I think that the main scientific reason that Jim told his kids to wait before swimming was to get as much alone time with his wife as possible while the kids were away so that they could do some wrestling. And that's Science Corner. I do like the fact that you, you know, Jim said this so that him and his wife could have some time, alone yeah. time. Yeah. And in order to have the alone time, I think, you know, they still had to go to the family refrigerator and get out that nice bottle of champagne that yeah. people, you know, hate waiting. Yeah. But on that family refrigerator, we had a bunch of pictures. We do. And we're going to add more pictures to that refrigerator mm-hmm. gallery because that's what we call a segue. Yeah, that's what we call refrigerator gallery. So let's talk about what our funny backup pieces of artwork were. What piece of artwork do we like in this book? And we'll start off with the backup funny one. <laughs> we'll start with you, Osvaldo. All right. Well, I think I only, I really, you know, there wasn't that many jokes in this issue is, is, the, is, the, is the problem. So I don't really have a backup. I just have a number one. When the crack dealer that they, they, they interrupt Johnny Rival, right, with the crack dealer, page eight yeah and johnny rival punches alex and gets knocked on the ground and the crack dealer just throws a couple of crack vials on alex <laughs> like smoke it up like smoke it up 
right? He's like, he's like I know you fell yeah. down, so here, have some crack. <laughs> I don't understand. And then, but the really, for me, the real funny part is is what Katie says. We well, ought to pulverize that stupid John. And then she says, "Hey, is that crack? What you gonna do with it?" <laughs> <laughs> and there's just something very funny about the way she says that. What you gonna do with it? And he's like, disintegrate it. But that's the other thing. If he's disintegrating it, isn't he heating it up? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't think so. I think the way the power works is that it just, it, I don't think it actually heats. Yeah, it breaks it down on molecular yeah. level is what it looks like. I, I think it just kind of... It's, yeah, but it would release energy, right? And wouldn't that energy be hot? No, I think I think, <laughs> I think think that energy just gets absorbed into him, and it yeah. doesn't... Yeah. I don't think there's a convection. You know, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I'm yeah. going to say no. We'll because no. science... I, I, think <laughs> that, I think it would be very funny if he was accidentally smoking crack this whole time. Yeah, it time just he gets it. A, gets it, this massive high. It like, would explain his behavior. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, it, it really started off in the one issue where he actually did it the first time. So, I mean, he's just been high this entire time yeah. and nobody's realized it. <laughs> I think it would have been funny, too, if there was... You could just add a panel to this this one where, you know, Katie's like, what you gonna do with it? And he's all disintegrate. And Katie's like, dealer said, smoke it up. I don't, <laughs> do yo, it wrong, yo, Alex. share with the family, yeah. bro. How many you got? You, you sharing? I do love also, and it's not, it's not. There's something about the lettering and the ha 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 in that yeah. panel that just really sells it too. It's just, it, really it, it is kind of nice because it's all walking away as yeah. as it's going to low low. Yeah. Look, this is a happy crack seller, man. I mean, he got to see a, you know, Johnny Rival elbow and punch a guy in the face. He, he got- lost one of his competitors recently. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. It's looking up, it's looking up for old. Uh, <laughs> Joe Bob Crack Dealer. Hey, that's crack. What you gonna do with it? What's, what about you? What, what do you got for a funny one? My joke backup one is on page three. Oh, dear. I think I might have the same one as you. Really? Did you name yours Halitosis Hala? I came up with Garbage Breath, but yeah. yep, the same one. <laughs> <laughs> it is a center-right panel, and it is with Garbage Man uh, holding on to... I keep on wanting to say carrot tough, blasting cap, and just yelling in his face, and he's just got a spittle-filled mouth and green vapors coming off of it, and green scudge is just flying out of his mouth yeah, onto. That uh, is a fantastic yeah, panel. It is it's just. I it have is, to say, and, and I have to tell you, this is a panel that I remembered from my childhood. Yes. Yeah, this one stuck in my head very, very strongly. It's very visceral, but there is at the same time there is something kind of funny about it too. Yep. I think it's a little bit has to out. Oh, it's very car- fantastic. Yeah, it's very cartoonish too. It's uh, a little bit. Blasting Cap reminds me of a character out of Bloom County. Oh. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, he yeah. looks like Milo. Yes, very much in that picture. Um, yeah, that was the same funny backup one I had. Okay. So, the one that I thought was my top funny one was on page sixteen, and this is what I call face kicker. Put a 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 And and it's yes, the that is great. <laughs> what we've got here is we've got Brute is holding on to Katie because you know, Katie ran into the back of Brute and she, th- you know, he thought she was hurt, so he's holding on to her. And in the background, Crazy Legs is doing the most awesome bicycle kick right into the face of Garbage Man, and it's the put a put a put a put a put a, and so you just it's that action you can just see the you can see it in your head almost. He's yeah. just floating him in air and just. Kicking, 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 kicking. It's a good one. It's a good one. I would say the colorist did a great job on this issue, and you can see it in these fights because they're the 
everything is so stripped down the colors are really what what are selling the the depth of perception yes it's really good yeah because that because in that one it's very monochrome in the back with you know so whereas everything's almost in the front with the the really deep colors in the front it's it's showing where the uh, where you're supposed to be focusing your right. attention and where the second where the primary and secondary attentions are supposed exactly. to be. There's two different stories going on there, and it says this is a visual cut. Yep. What about you? What do you got? As your funny one. My first place funny one is on page five. Of course it is. <laughs> and I call it. It's clobbering time. <laughs> It is the uh, bottom three panels where uh, Jim and Maggie Power are going to wrestle. It's the preamble to their wrestling match. And I know that uh, Ben Grimm was a uh, unlimited class wrestler. So it's clobbering time. There's Jim and Maggie clobbering. Okay, let's <laughs> let's get into some real good artwork. And we'll go ahead and start with you, our guest. Tell us about your backup favorite piece of artwork. It's on 18, and I call it the bottom panel, full panel. I call it teamwork. I have the same one for my favorite one, and that's the same name I had. Oh, good job, you guys. I do not, because I am a cut above the rest, and that was too obvious. Okay. I love just that there's so much movement. It's a single panel, but there's so much movement. And, like, there's three different... Uh, sound effects, there's the baboon, there's the yai, there's the stract, there's crazy legs tripping, uh, garbage man as both Jack and Brute are punching him, and and at the same time Alex is making the hole in the floor for him to fall through. It's like it's a perfect panel. It's really great. It's a it it's is a really fantastic. good. Alex also has just if you look at the Alex's face in that, it is the most uh, awkward looking face in the world yeah he looks he, like he surprised he, himself like Woo. yeah, yeah powerball dear yeah, god think, this is gonna like, work i think that might be what it is he's like okay i came up with this plan but i don't know if it's happening or not yeah no that's a great panel fantastic one. there's a lot of really good art in this there's a there lot is. of really really good panels in this comic yeah john bogdanov did a great job there's a lot of different styles almost he's using as well yep. his sense of continuity and movement between panels is really great is what i, I really yes. love about it like for a while i was like nothing stands out because everything kind of blends into each other so well that you know yep. it took more time to pay more attention that i these particular panels started standing out to me yeah i agree what do you have for your backup jeff my backup is on page six, and I call it downward thrust. And it is in the middle. It is the middle panel of the page, and yeah. I just like that. It's it's a perspective thing. I love that. It is. Uh, I, I considered that one honestly. It's a great panel. Again, like we said, there's a lot of good art in here. But yeah, the uh, panel is when they're uh, they're leaving to go quote unquote swimming, but they decide, hey, we got to wait an hour anyway. Let's go cruise by the crack house that we burnt down. And like it that, is like swimming is like superheroing probably causes cramps too, which is the thing that's ridiculous. If swimming <laughs> causes cramps, superheroing super- definitely causes cramps. Definitely, it's like aliens are invading. I just had lunch. Can we, can we wait? Can we wait yeah. ten minutes? I need I need a good I need a good fifteen. An hour would be preferable, but I understand the world's in danger. But yeah, I just love this because it it has all the characters and they're all flying down to go look out the crack house and like uh, it's got a great you know giant feed on Alex because it's real close to where the camera would be and everybody else kind of like tapers down in size. I I, I like that kind of just the different perspective. Yeah, it's it's a real forced kind of perspective yeah. that's there. Nice, nice. My backup is on page twelve, and I call this Angry Jack. Oh yeah. It's the top panel, and it's 
Jack's face and his hand all punched up and ready to punch and it's glowing with that zero G power. And he also has got a great line here too. You, you fat load, you gross out tub of goo, you hurt my brother. And it's just, he's pulling it back for this haymaker that he throws in the next panel. And it's just a really good close up look at Jack's face and that fist ready to punch. Yep. No, that's a great one. I, 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 I don't know if I ever knew that Jack had freckles before, but the freckles are perfect. It's yes, really he might. He might not always, but he does today. Yeah, we don't. He's usually not holding. He that got still. a little sun. They were out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it was just part of his uh, the Frenchman costume, and he wiped off the mustache, but he like, kept the freckles. Actually, I think it is that he spent so much time as a cloud that uh, now he's not a cloud. He's actually getting the sun. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right, Osvaldo, what do you have for your top one? Man, I'm trying to pick between two, and I'm having a hard time. So, uh, page three. What the, the halitosis one is is yeah. one of the ones I picked. Yeah. That is well, a fantastic panel. Like the art, the face, the 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 bushema stalactites of spit. Yeah. Just the the green vapor coming out of his mouth, the expression on Blasting Cap's face and the hair, the hands, the the fingers, the holding around him. It's just it's perfect. Just curious, what was your other choice that you had? Uh, it's a very similar one. It's on page 13, uh, and it's second row, first panel. And it's oh, Garbage Man oh. and his mouth, and it's just so distorted, so cartoony, and it's it's almost like underground comics. It's almost like, yeah. you know, something that you would see in Zap, you know? It's or it's it's pretty, it's amazing. His teeth are just amazing in that panel. Yeah, you get a great look at his mouth, and he's just got exaggerated teeth. Yeah, and he is at the top of his anger. He, they've just beaten Power Pack. He is still angry that Trash led Power Pack to his hideout, and he is just furious. And just, you're right, the, his face is all twisted up. He's nothing but jowls and neck. And, yeah, you can see every hair on his chinny-chin-chin. Yeah, that's a fantastic work. The inking, the, the coloring, the penciling, it's a great panel. Both of those are great. Yes. They really even are. Even the lettering, even the, even the balloons around it. Like, how do you letter that, like, 90% of the panel is just his face, basically. It's a good job. It's a good thing overall. Jeff, what do you have for your top one? My top one is on page one, and I call it Involuntary Flight Powers. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's another forced perspective one, but it is a great intro of Garbage Man because he is just backhanded uh, razor cut you know, as far into the panel as possible, where Razorcut, again, has the huge head tapering into small legs because he's just flying away from the backhand. The Razorcut is coming out of the panel at us. Yep. it's. And, I just thought that was a great... I know, you know, doing the splash page one is always kind of a cop-out. I, I try not to do those, but I just really like the way that looked. And it was a, a great intro for Garbage Man. It's an intro for Garbage Man, but Garbage Man is nothing but a shadow yeah. in the background, and you just have no defining features except he is very misshapen yes and that he is not hurt by uh, touching the razory diamond hard skin of razor cut which has you know slashed up super dense uh julie right in her julie hammers and where it's just like oh she cuts herself up he doesn't care he can ha he can lay hands on this kid and it's not a problem to him yeah so but i just thought i again hey both of mine today were uh, forced perspective ones i like those well i think you gentlemen did a very good good job now it's time to insult you both and everybody else. <laughs> because it's time for rubber and glue moment. 
what was the best or most childish insult that we saw? Let's go around the other way here. I'll start this one with my backup one. And my backup one is on page four. And it is Garbage Man saying, a pitiful pile of waifs. Yeah, that is uh, that was on my list. That was yeah, a good one. It, at, for, first of all, we've got alliteration. <laughs> and how many times do you hear waifs nowadays? I mean, that connects them to your Dickens, Dickensian sense, right? Like to the way yeah, yes, he, it does. The way he talks, he has a very particular way of talking, and it doesn't fit with his other the way he's drawn. And so, because who says waifs? Yeah, he's very like eloquent and also melodramatic all at the same time. Uh, he's very he's well spoken. He does not look like he should be, but he is very uh, verbose in his vocabulary. He yes. he he likes to talk and he likes to use the words. He says, "And I'll refrain from taking my clients' losses out of your high." Like, who uses refrain? You know, the you know, it's, yes, it's an interesting perspective or an interesting take on the characters. Jeff, what is your backup insult, sir? My backup insult is on page twelve. And it's Jack when he's, uh, after Alex has been knocked out and he's yelling at Garbage Man. And he's all, you hurt my brother, Garbage Face. You fat load. You gross out tub of goo. You hurt my brother. Eat mega G's, fatso. It is three panels and four word bubbles of just insult, 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 insult. It's it's just great. I thought that was funny. Congratulations. That's my number one. That's what I picked as my That was yeah. my number one as well. Gross, I have an even better number one. You gross out tub of goo is what I didn't, I didn't pick all three panels. I just picked out you gross, you gross out tub of goo. Because Garbage Man even comments on it, right? He's like, he his feelings were hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's impressed that he was knocked down by Jack's punch. He's like, nobody's done that. Good job. Good job. However, I cannot forgive this. Yeah. <laughs> you called me a tub of goo. I think he was fine with fatso. Yeah. I think he was far fine with yeah. Fat load. Yeah. Garbage, <laughs> garbage face. <laughs> but yeah. tub of tub, tub of goo. goo. That was crossing the line, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was your uh, backup one then as well though? Um the backup one is the one that you we already you already covered mine. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, be, well, we didn't. We didn't because that covered your uh, first place one, but we didn't cover your My backup, backup right? one. Is the the pitiful pile of waifs? You 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 oh, doubled oh, okay. me up. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we we stole both of those from you. Yeah. So I guess you're the last one left. All right, last man talking. My first place insult is on page eleven, and it is garbage man. And uh, it's just, he's, you know, Alex and everybody's attacking him, and he just grabs Alex and throws him into a pile of boxes. And uh, his response to being attacked by Power Pack is, childish epithets, childish powers. Once again, the language that he uses is a little above what we expect him to be saying yeah. for his look. I just love the fact he's all like, Ugh, your words and your abilities are unimpressive to me. <laughs> and I'm like, that? Because that's just, it, again, it's it's a, a higher brow than you expect, or it's it's it, it's just, it just stands out, and just the fact that he just, he's so dismissive of them, I'm like, that is amazing. You know, Jax was made with pure rage, mm -hmm. and this was just dismissive insult. Yeah. 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 I'm realizing now, and I didn't notice when I was looking at this comic before, because of that, because of that panel, is how many sound effects there are in this comic. There's a lot of sound effects, and they're yes. great. That room is great. <laughs> I think my daughter is going to be a little busy doing sound effects during this <laughs> issue. <laughs> All 
All right, let's move on to stars in detention. Let's talk about who our best and worst child are. So let's start with the worst. Jeff, can you please give us the worst child in this issue according to you? Well, you would think that it would be Alex because it's always been Alex in this trilogy. However, I'm going to say that it is Katie. Really? Yeah. Why Katie? She... Here's what she contributed to this issue. She knocked herself out by flying into Brute's back, and she had a tantrum at the end of the issue. That's okay. basically it. She really didn't do much of anything else. There was one point where uh, she, you know, it's like, Julie and Katie, distract Garbage Man while we do this stuff. But Julie had this act covered by clouding over a person's head. So Katie really didn't do anything for in this issue, which is too bad. She, however, did not reveal anybody's secret identities, where Jack revealed Alex's name twice, and uh, Alex revealed uh, Katie's, Katie's name twice and Julie's name once. But uh, yeah, it, it's just, she just didn't do much. That was, that was uh, why I'm saying she's the worst. Interesting choice. Mm -hmm. Interesting choice. Oswaldo, who do you think the worst child of this issue is? It has to be Alex. Alex is just insufferable. <laughs> He's insufferable. He really Again, I can't is. argue He's, that. I mean, I understand because I was a kid once and, and I probably said and felt stupid things and he's feeling, he's he's coming into contact with real injustice for the first time, you know, in a, in a way. And it's a hard thing, but that doesn't excuse the fact that he's insufferable. <laughs> he really is. I, I don't disagree with you either. I almost chose Alex, but I felt that, especially compared to the last few issues, he was better than he <laughs> yeah. has been. He and was, I, in fact, better, yeah. And I had to give him a little bit of credit for that. So instead, I chose Julie. Okay. Because it, it's really based on one scene and one scene alone. She attacked Razor again and ripped up her legs again. Oh, yeah. She knocked him she, out. And she did that the prior issue, uh, and the same thing happened, and she tried it again, and this time, I mean, it was worse. Yeah, she did not learn. Yeah. She did take him out of that fight. It, she did get cut up, but it works and knocked him out of the fight. I don't know, can you hold Yeah, it? but I... She was taking one for... The, I saw that as she was taking one for the team. Like, she knew what was going to happen, but that was the only choice she had. Because also the backup that you know, she did that, it put her in a bad spot, and she got knocked out big time. So I just... Just because of that one issue, I just, that was, I, I felt that she made a bad, bad choice. She did pick a bad dance partner. Yes. So let's go around and talk about who we think is the best, which is kind of interesting. We all chose, <laughs> we all chose ones that we thought were the worst. I think we're going to choose different ones for the best. We probably will. <laughs> Jeff. My best one was Jack. Me too. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Oh, all right. Cool. Uh, how come you pick Jack? How come I pick Jack? Because he just seemed the most realistic. He just seemed... Like, he understood that this was kind of an intractable problem, that they weren't going to necessarily fix it with Alex's approach, which kind of gung-ho approach. And there was just that one scene at the end, after the defeat guards man, where he says, Alex, you're nuts, right? When when Alex is like, I'm not going to let Trash leave. You're bad guys. We're going to take you to prison. And, and he just the way he says, Alex, you're nuts, to that proposition just struck me as a little more mature than his older brother so for me i had to go with jack 
I agree with that. Jack, I always see him as a little bit more of a realist. Uh, I also picked him because he was the uh, one to solo knock down Garbage Man. Yep. yep. So by himself, you know, that impressed Garbage Man. So that was really great. He also, like you were saying, he was, you know, explaining you can't superhero this problem away just with one action. That's not how it works. You know, so he was very understanding, kind of like, yeah, this, you can be proud of yourself, but you, you didn't change much of anything but my main reason for picking jack is because he knew that his dad wanted to spend some quality time with his mom and he was all <laughs> and he was because he was like yeah because he even told his dad he elbows him and he's like yeah i know you just want to be alone with mom and he's like hey he backed his dad's play he's all hey we can't swim for an hour anyway let's there's another hour we've got to be out of the house so Ace is Jack. So Jack is a good wingman. Jack is the best wingman. <laughs> so that's why I picked Jack. So I, originally, when I started off this, I had Katie as my best. But after going around, I think I just have to agree with you guys on Jack. For some <laughs> of the reasons you chose her as the worst, I don't think she had gone down as far as, as Julie, in my opinion. But for how you talked about her as being the worst, and also for... The points you guys made about Jack, I'm going to join on the Jack bandwagon here. Okay. I, I agree. Jack was up there with me with, with Katie, but I'm willing to say that Jack is also my best. I I loved his single punch out. I love his double punch out. And just that he, he was the he was also the one who I think turned around kind of quick on them being working together with oh, Trash. Oh, yeah, he so. got it quick. Yeah, yeah, he was all like, yes, team up, please. Yeah. I'm willing to play around with this because we ain't going to beat him solo. Yeah. He was also the uh, last man standing in the group. Yeah. So. All right. That brings us to G-Force, mm -hmm. which none. Not one G. Not one G. The G-Bomber has continued to fail us. So we have zero G, which can be found in space. We have a G average of 0 0.97, which is just light of Earth standard, which uh, is it makes sense because this uh, issue and series has made me feel a little uh, off kilter. <laughs> Just a little unbalanced. And nice. our G total remains at 31, which is... Uh, one less than the number of issues. Yeah, one less than the number of issues. So. I thought there were many more. Uh -huh. I, I, we started off doing this and thinking that there was going to be a lot more, but... Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it keeps tapering. Occasionally, he throws them in. It was like the first I issue... I guess Weezy figured it out. She probably was like, I need to pull back on those Gs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, or it was kind of along the lines where she was like going, you know, it, it, it's not quite the kid in you know he's experienced some stuff and maybe the wonder and awe has gone away when you've been kidnapped yet again by snarks <laughs> and now i watched a kid that i'm now best you know this my new very best friends one of them died today i also just yeah. met him today it's also I, that like 1958 in mayberry yes <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, I'd be curious to see if uh, more g's are going to be dropped in the future but uh, not a lot not a lot yeah all right, running down our list here, we've got top grades. We want to evaluate this issue against the rest of the series. So starting at number one, we've got Power Pack 25, which is still our favorite. And on the bottom, we have Thor 363. So we've placed the last couple of issues, 25, 26, 27. That's kind of where 29, 30, well, 31, 29, and 30 are. Last issue was issue 31. That is our 25th favorite. That's a good enough place to start. Do we think that this is better or worse than Crackdown? Like you said, Jeff, 
You know, nobody dies in this one. Yeah, it's not as fun. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed that uh, about the previous one because it was just, it was so, I don't know, it was just kids got killed, their kids died because they had asthma and their stuff. Yeah. It was just, it was wholesome. Cra- crack house burned down, yeah. Yeah, uh, hmm. I th- so Crackdown is what, number 30? Yeah, Crackdown, uh, Crackdown, Crackdown is, is um, issue number 31, but it's in uh, 25th place. Yeah, it's in our 25th place. Uh, yeah. I almost think that uh, Crackdown is a little bit better than this one. What do you think, Osvaldo? Huh, I'm trying to think, you know. Um, I think that it's hard. They all blend in my mind. I'm like trying to flip through my comics real quick so I can like, think about what they yeah. are. Yeah, 31 is where Alex burns down a crack house in order to destroy all of the drugs in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I think... I don't know. I think thirty-two is a little better. Is a little better than thirty-one. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually kind of agreeing with that too. I think that I I don't think it's going to go any higher than the twenty-fifth spot. But I kind of I kind of like this issue a little better than thirty-one because especially after our conversation, I think that I have a little better appreciation for trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the characters that are in here it's it's a little um, less realistic than the last one but I think the fact that Alex has calmed down a little bit we have a new team we really see a lot of characterization in this I think that there's um, I think it's a little more interesting and engaging than the last one okay. I, I think I can go with that but okay would you put it much higher than uh, no. rank 25 then no I, I still the one that we have above number 25 on our 24th spot is Uncanny X-Men, Volume 1, number 205, Wounded Wolf. And no, this is not better than <laughs> Wounded Wolf. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, yeah. I, I'm surprised Wounded Wolf is so low. <laughs> the, the only reason the only reason it's so low is because it's, it's very tangentially a power pack story. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why it's it's so low. Yeah. But... Even even then, it's it's still it's still a, really good. It's still in a great spot. I yeah. mean, we still have it. You know, it's it's kind of up above the ones that we. It's it's a good middle. It's a good place line for yeah, us worth a lot of our stuff right now. That sounds good. That's true. On its on its own, I think that it would be quite possibly a better issue than most of the other stuff here, just because of the artwork in it, the storytelling aspect, the plotting of it. I mean, it's a fantastic book, but we tend to look at these just as the power pack story. Yeah. And uh, it's that, a great, yeah. it's a great Katie uh, issue. I mean, Wolverine and Katie are, are the stars of it. And Katie's got a good place in there, but it's not a strong power pack story. And that's why we have uh, Thor uh, 363, this cursed earth as our bottom one. Amazing story, bad power pack story. So, uh, but yeah, I could totally see this. Uh, I, I'm fine with this replacing 25. All right. This can be the brand new 25. I think it's uh, that's a fine spot for it. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Then we have our final thoughts on our beer. So let's talk about let's talk about our beer first, Jeff. Okay. What do you think of Gigantic Brewing's Hellboy Maple Syrup Pancakes beer? I really, really like this. I find it really enjoyable. And, uh, oh, man, I love maple bars are one of my favorite thing. I love maple syrup. Uh, just the fact I can put my nose into it and I'm smelling maple and I drink it and I'm tasting maple. And then I kind of get like a little kind of rusty kind of flavor, but then I get maple again. I really, really like that. So I am very pro this beer, but I'm not 
as pro as I want to be, because again, there is a kind of an odd sort of rusty flavoring that goes into it. Yeah, fair enough. But it, it afters out really good. It's super mellow. It's just maple at the end. I love that. Uh, so I'd give it a good 4.5. Yeah? Yeah, 4.5. I think I'm going to join you in that 4.5 too. I, I, there is something about it that keeps it from being that 5, Yeah. but... I would wrestle this beer any day of the week. <laughs> Don't you love Saturday mornings? I think it's quite tasty. I think it's quite enjoyable. And I would give it a four and a half, too. Yeah. Unfortunately, limited release beer. Good luck finding it now. It It's it's tasty. It is really nice. And I... Thank you, Rick, so much for bringing this and sharing this with me because I don't... I wouldn't have had this otherwise, honestly. I don't even... I wouldn't have found it. Yeah. With the limited amount of time I get to leave the house, I would not have found this. Been holding on to that for you for a while. Yeah. I would suggest saving the bottle. Oh, uh, yeah. Because well. I got to run the bottles at home. So yeah. I suggest you know washing out and saving these bottles, sir. That's an idea. So four and a halfs for uh, both of us on our beer, because we really enjoyed it. How about your beer? I mean, I'm a regular drinker of Scheinerbach. I give it five stars. I love it. So... I'm not going to, you know, even pretend to, to rate it fairly and just say it's a thing that I love, and so I'll stick with that. I've done that with favorite beers before, too, where we had one on where it's, it's uh, for me, it's the uh, Elysium split shot, uh, milk stout, uh, espresso stout, where it's just kind of like, he's, it's like, what do you think of this? I'm like, five. I love it. It's my favorite beer. Done. So... <laughs> And that leads us to Kid's Perspective, where Rick talks to his daughter, Carrie, about the issue at hand. So, Rick and Carrie, thoughts? Hi, Carrie. Hi, Daddy. How are you today? Good. What did you think about this comic? It wasn't exactly so dark, but... It, has, it wasn't as dark as the last couple? Yeah, I guess. So this is a little bit lighter? Yeah, but... There was a really dark part when, like, Jolie scrapes her knees and it actually looks really, really bloody. Yeah, that part is pretty scary, isn't it? Yeah. That was a pretty tough fight they were in, and when she scraped her legs, it was pretty bad. It was very bloody. It looked really painful, didn't it? Mm-hmm. What did you think about um, the garbage man? I guess he's a good villain. He might be. What do you What do you mean by a good villain? Mm, like, a villain that's, like, extra villainy. Okay, explain that. Tell me why you think he's extra villainy. Okay, he's not extra villainy. He's just villainy. Is he pretty bad? Yeah. To his team. How how mean is he to trash? Pretty mean? I'm like, can you do a scale on like 1 to 10 or something? Sure. On a scale of 1 to 10, how mean is he to trash? Mm, probably a 9. That or a 10. That or a 10? So he's very bad, isn't he? He doesn't treat anybody well at all, does he? No. Except himself. Well, maybe. Yeah, he's pretty bad. There's nothing about him that's good. Trash did turn kind of good. Trash did turn kind of good, didn't they? Yeah. What happened? Why did they decide to help Power Pack? Because of their main boss. Tell me a little bit more about that. What was it that the boss wanted them to do that made them decide to help Power Pack? Kill them. And did they want to kill them? No. No, they didn't. What else was really interesting about the book? Well, I did have a question. Sure. What's your question? So, on the cover, Katie has two braids, like as usual, but in the book, she has two ponytails. You know, of all the things we thought about with the cover and about the inside art, that's one thing we did not notice. <laughs> Tell me about some of the things you liked inside the book. What was your favorite part inside the book? 
when Power Pack and Trash teamed up mm-hmm. to defeat Garbage Man. Yeah. Why did you like that? Because they worked together and used teamwork. They did. They used teamwork and they were able to defeat them. Tell me a little bit more about that or tell me why you think that was pretty cool. Well, I mostly liked how they were just helping each other out, working together. Yeah. What did you think about the very ending where they had a disagreement with Power Pack, where Power Pack was trying to tell them that they should be good and not evil? What did you think about that? Okay. I really don't know who's on which side. I know Power Pack was trying to convince them to be good guys, but who else was on Power Pack's side? It it was pretty much just Power Pack trying to say that they should be good guys, and all the members of Trash were saying that they're not bad, but they can't be as good as Power Pack. Makes sense. It does? Yeah. Why do you think that the team of Trash can't be good? Why do you think that they don't feel that they can be good? Because people might think, because they were bad before, and people might think, might not trust them. That could be one reason. What about when Power Pack said that they should go to, that they should be punished and go to jail and pay for the crimes they've done? Why did Trash not want to do that? I don't know. They said that they were a family, right? Yeah. Oh, and they didn't want to be separated? Right, because... They're better as a family, and they're worse when they're separated. Like the actual power family? Yeah, but I think the power family, individually, they're good enough that they can work apart from each other. Like Alexis. Yeah, but trash, they need each other's support, right? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No. Okay, thank you very much, Carrie. You're welcome. I love you. Love you too. And now we are going to do our shout-out time, where we like to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. This is going to be for episode 40, which is our live show, where we talked about the Power Pack pilot at a campground at Shampooey State Park. Al Sedano and the Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Charles Gears. Charles Miller. Charlie Rose. Chris at BTO and Bat Books. Chris Reeves. Colin Stapleton at... The worst comic podcast ever. Dan Grote and WMQA Podcast. David Adler. Debbie Whitehead. Gary and Sarah Key. Gene Hendricks. Gibson, who thought we had some of the best bloopers yet. Thanks. We mistake make for exclusive enjoyment hard words said. Green Lantern HG. The Hammer Strikes. Jeff Pullier, who was excited to hear his daughter asking us a question. And it was awesome having you there. Jeremy Daw. Keith Baker. Let's talk New Warriors. The Longbox Crusade with Jason Weasel Skull Alberk and Pat DJ Christatos Sampson. Nicholas Prom and the Comic Reflections Podcast. NZ Waffles. Sean and the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast. That is so secret, it is the Squadron Supreme right now. Thor Edison. Tim Price. And Virginia Taylor. Be sure to check out our other shows that we're on, Rick Meets Legion, which you can find at Comic Reflections, and our Junior Agent Submissions on the MI6 Rookie Agent episodes of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Right now, it is just shirts and stickers around our logo, but we will try to come up with some other fun stuff for our fans. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Osvaldo, would you like to tell us where the people of Earth and anybody who listens to our show could possibly find you and your excellent writing? Sure, because I am a human man from Earth, much like Hub Hubbard. (laughs) 
You can find my work at themiddlespaces.com. We've got a Patreon at patreon.com slash middlespaces. Also, you'll, there you'll find my work, but you'll also find the work of other comic scholars and fan scholars who are really interested in digging into comics from a perspective of race, gender, and a variety of other perspectives as well. Cool. Thank you very much, sir. And you're also on Twitter, correct? I am. It's just at the middle spaces. Cool. Jeff and Rick present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of one very curious and a little bit noisy two-year-old and in Pittsburgh. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff Rick present our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick present our email address, Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com or at our website, Jeff and Rick present.wordpress.com. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick present, all one word. We are a supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to www.heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. You can even find copies of our episodes on YouTube. Just search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. My wife, Kit, who doesn't like comics much, but is a YA author and so is happy to discuss Power Pack with me whenever I want. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Hot Swing. All music is by Kevin McLeod at acomptech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. And... Yeah. Shred. You fat load. You grew. Grease. Shred. Garbage man tra- <coughs> trashes charge. Shred. It gets me out of the house at least, which is nice. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, that's fair. I mean, shred. With we'll start with you, asphalt. <laughs> wow, I've been drinking. Shred. The one that I thought was uh, my top. Blah, blah, blah. Shred. Sean and the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. That it is so secret, it is the Squadron Supreme right now. Yeah. Sean and. Hold on, I'm just going to do that again. I just stumbled <laughs> over every word I had. <clears throat> Shred. Right? Yeah. If you would like to interact with us. Thank you. Shred. It's our exit song. We did a show now. And we had a guest and he was really cool. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da.